Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 22. We got it wrong last week. It was episode 21 last week. So we're here for the real episode 22 of The Bank this week. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. I'm Jordan Coe. You can find me at BSL Jordan Coe. Um, and we're here to talk a little bit about the Ravens and the Texans and, the, you know, the status of the NFL overall. Um, you know, things are finally starting to seem to say, take some shape, Gabe. Um, you know, COVID has certainly played its part through the first couple of weeks in terms of how the season started and how things led off. But I think it really reared it reared its head here a little bit in the start of week two. I think the major headline is is the injuries and kind of everything that we saw happen across the board in a lot of games. Um, this past week related to injuries. Yeah, it seemed like it was kind of every single team basically was was getting hit by the injury bug, and the, and the Ravens weren't uh, excluded from that, as we'll talk about a little bit about um, with loss of Tavon Young. Um, yeah, basically, you know, it was just like hit after hit. I think Adam Schefter came out and said this was the worst he's ever seen it in terms of one week, just the injuries that happened. I think there was something like seven or eight ACL injuries this past week, which is – kind of just a horrendous number um other tissues other soft tissue injuries as well and, and like you said i think this is something a lot of people are concerned about with the offseason players not getting as much you know practice time not having the offseason workouts the ability to get their bodies ready we didn't really see that many injuries hit in the first week but um we too for whatever reason everybody was just you know dropping like flies almost it was just really unfortunate um, week in terms of the injuries um Aside from that, though, I think it was kind of um, what we expected from a lot of the games. There weren't a lot of huge um, upsets or anything in this week. But, you know, there's some close games I thought were interesting. Um, the Steelers, they, they almost lost to Denver. One of the teams that got hit by the injury bug almost as um, much as any other team. Um, and, you know, they were down their number one wide receiver. They lost their quarterback. Obviously, they had Von Miller out for this season. They had a few other injuries, um, and and they were in it with two minutes left. They almost drove down the field to beat the Steelers. <laughs> um, so that's interesting that you know the Steelers, a lot of teams, a lot of people thought was going to be you know one of these darlings of of the 2020 season. They maybe um, have some things that they're going to have to work on if they're expected to you know kind of get to the point where people want them to be. Yeah, and the Titans fall into that bucket too. They're another two and O team that barely squeaked it out, and obviously in in consecutive weeks. But in week one, they should have won by a lot more. Thank you, Stephen Goskowski. But again, just didn't look like they could put it over the top there against the Jaguars team that is, you know, who knows what to make of this Jaguars team? Maybe they're a little bit better than we all thought they might be. Um, but all in all, um, it seems like you know I was a little surprised at the Titans. Um, and their performance on on kind of the the underperforming side, I think, on the overperforming side, really impressed so far this year with the Cardinals and the Rams. And, you know, the, the NFC West is really shaping up to be a real battle. Um, I thought San Francisco was going to kind of be a leader in the clubhouse through most of the season. And all four of those teams look like they could threaten to easily be playoff teams, um, if not, you know, doing some making some real damage if, if they get beyond that. Yeah, for sure. The, the NFC West looks like a, a really scary division, and it's some a division that I wouldn't want to be in if I was a fan of one of those teams. Because every single week, it seems like it's going to be you know a, a game that might decide your playoff outcome. Um, and and the 49ers, they're dealing with a lot of injuries, um, as we mentioned, the injury bug. They got hit really bad. You know, they lost their running back. They lost uh, Nick Bosa. He's out for the season. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo got banged up. Uh, they're missing wide receivers left and right. Richard Sherman's on the IR. Just all these players are going down. It's it's um it's hard to uh, it's hard to field a roster of some of these teams right now. And, and it's not because of the virus, but it's because the virus was able to, I think, affect the the training, and and that's really an unfortunate outcome. Yeah, for sure. And then you know we've got a couple couple of the other you know I, I would put the Green Bay into the bucket of teams that is kind of really impressed out of the gate with the Ravens as kind of 
being dominant across the board up front. Um, and then you've got teams like the Chiefs and the Seahawks, which have kind of squeaked their way, or not squeaked, but, you know, a little less resounding 2-0 start to their seasons too. Yeah, and, and a team like the Bills is an interesting team because, you know, they kind of barely got by the Dolphins. It was a pretty close game. But then Josh Allen, he's looking like he could be an MVP candidate if he continues to take the steps that he took. He almost is having a Lamar Jackson-type uh third season instead of uh, instead of a second season for um for Jackson is Allen's third season but he's looking like you know a really good quarterback uh, something that people didn't know he would ever reach but he's you know he look, he's looking like he has downfield accuracy he's putting up some ridiculous stats I know it's only through two weeks but if he can be this kind of a quarterback with their defense they might be a, a real challenger in the AFC I don't know you know Josh Allen Two weeks through the AFC, fine. You know, give me two weeks against, you know, real bona fide NFL divisions and and maybe I'll change my tune. But, you know, the Jets, the Jets are awful um, and, and the Dolphins aren't far behind them. <laughs> so, you know, the, I, I'll, I'll take a wait and see approach from Josh Allen. Um, obviously, I think the warmer weather helps him a little bit, too. He plays in kind of a non-ideal um place for kind of his skill set i think and, and you saw that in the bills ravens game last year where you just couldn't really air out the ball as much because it was so cold and it was so windy um so i'll i'll reserve you know he has looked good um but i want to see him play against you know a legitimate defense before i'm ready to say that he's he's making a lamar jackson like breakout here let's 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 slow the accolades comparing people to lamar here <laughs> well i think just in terms of the the expectation versus the initial kind of coming out the gates and he's having a phenomenal start to the season. And, and you're right about the level of competition. Um, he's playing two of the probably worst defenses in the NFL, but you know, when, when you leave the league and in, in passing yards, you have six touchdowns, you interceptions. He's also doing with his legs. Um, I think it's something to at least keep your eye on as, as, as a team that could really, you know, take the next step if he's able to continue this level of play. Yeah, well, and Diggs makes a big difference. I mean, having Diggs and Brown up there together is going to make that offense better. Um, you know, they, they improved around him, and I think he is going to have a better year. Um, and I think he can be a, a, you know, I don't think he's there yet, but I wouldn't be shocked if at some point in his career he is in that elite level bucket quarterbacks. He's got the skill set for it. Um, so, you know, I'm just hesitant to say that he's anything, that he's going to put anything up like what Lamar put up last year. Um, I think you're right about expectations though anyway i don't know any other games stand out to you i, th I thought the the dallas comeback slash <laughs> games collapse was was interesting i mean i mean it's not the first time we've seen the falcons lose a heartbreaker like that yeah you know i, I don't know if you watched the onside kick but i still can't i still cannot wrap my head around why one of the falcons guys just didn't drop down on the ball and just cover it up immediately when it was on the wrong side of, of the ball. There were literally three of them that basically took them out of the play by watching it roll over the line. And once you know that it's going to make it over the line before it, before it's going to roll out of bounds, then you either need to go get the ball or you need to go block somebody. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost as if they forgot the rules and thought that they were trying to, you know, recover the onside kick instead of pounce on the ball. Um, they might have been thrown off by the way it was spinning and they were worried they wouldn't be able to cover up on it. But you have to at least try at that point. You can't just let it go past the line. Yeah. And if I recall it, I, I mean, the way I remember it, and maybe this isn't right, is that it was just rolling in like a standard spiral. It wasn't like weird hopping, like jerking all over the place. It was kind of doing this sideways spin. Okay. Um, so okay. it was like a weird kind of like different spin. The kicker took a unique kind of way of kicking it into this like sideways spin. So it, it wasn't your normal kind of just like line drive grounder, but still I think there's really no excuse for what they let happen there. Yeah. Well, and you have to take advantage of the fact that when it's nine, nine and a half yards away that you can touch it and the Cowboys can't. And I think that's where, I think that's where they really botched it. But again, you know, the, you haven't seen a lot of kicks that get executed that way. Um, I think the next time that happens to any NFL team, we're not going to see the, see the same thing happen again. Um, and so it's a little unfortunate for the Falcons that, that they were the ones that were victimized by that. Um, I think the other, you know, the other team that stood out to me so far, that's been, shocking has been the Vikings 
Um, and they're way behind the eight ball now. It feels like with both the Bears and the Packers at two and zero, they're at zero and two. Um, you know, you would have thought that Indy was the kind of team that they were going to beat. Um, I think a lot of a lot of people liked Indy as a sleeper team this year, um, but I'm a little surprised at at how the poor the Vikings have looked so far. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with the defense for them. They basically um, overhauled their entire secondary. Uh, well, at least all their starting corners or top three corners are, are all new. Um, they have a lot of rookies, um, and they're also missing their best player. Danielle Hunter has been on the start of the season on IR. So anytime that, you know, you have a lot of issues on the back end and you don't really have the guys up front to get after the passer, or it's it's just going to be a difficult situation. And then, you know, we thought that they would have a better run game with, with Kubiak there as offensive coordinator, Dalvin Cook. Um, but for whatever reason, the offensive line just hasn't really gotten it done. I think they're definitely missing digs. They don't have a second weapon at wide receiver. The teams have to respect. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the NFL is shaping up to be, you know, I, I don't think obviously the injuries were a big impact on, on the, the league so far, but so far I think we've seen a lot of, you know, what you typically see in an NFL week, a couple like really far out there games that, that were really surprising. But then for the most part, a lot of games that were, what we might expect. And then a couple of really big surprises and teams that, you know, were on the cusp, but could really take something a step forward. So it, it seems like also knock on wood, you know, so far we're safe in terms of a COVID outbreak happening with the team or that really affecting multiple teams and seeing a lot of people go out. I think the lesson learned from the baseball season where a couple teams got hit hard early, um, you know, maybe heightened alertness of some of these NFL players to, to be, be smarter about it. Yeah, I think so too. I think the NFL took it very seriously when when they, you know, when they got down to it and they realized that we're gonna have to put every precaution in place to try to make sure that you know if there is something that happens, we'll be able to isolate it, and we're just gonna make sure that there's lots of testing, and we're gonna you know really um, hit home to these players that they need to um, you know just like be responsible and and make smart choices if they want to have a season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we start to talk about our NFL leading point differential team yet again now for what is a, a season and and two games into the way and and doing so and it not being particularly close. You know, I think the the Packers are a plus 30. The Ravens are plus 19 ahead of that. If you know, I, I said this in uh, Baltimore Sports and Life dot com on the forum when we were starting the year. I don't think people understood how gigantic the Ravens point differential was last season. If you took their point differential, you subtracted it, you subtracted Kansas City's positive point differential, who was number two in the league last year, that total, the gap between those two that was still remaining was better than all but four teams in the league last year. Um, that's how good the Ravens were. And if you look at it right now, you see something similar. The Ravens are a plus 49. You've only got the Packers above plus 30. So if you look at that difference, there's only the Los Angeles Rams, as the other remaining team that would sit between the first and second difference total, a point to retro in the league so far. Um, and you've got the Ravens beating what a lot of people think are a playoff team or could be a playoff team in Houston um, and a Cleveland team that didn't look so bad in week two against the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it was a combination of different factors, but the overall roster, I mean, talking the off season, they, the Ravens have one of the best rosters in the NFL. Um, and that's partially, Buoyed, I would say, by the presence of Lamar Jackson. You know, anytime you have a rookie quarterback who's the MVP um, or a rookie contract quarterback who's the MVP, you can build a roster around her that's going to be really exceptional. And the Ravens, they even have a lot of their other players still on their rookie contract. Their best players on the team, for a large part, are on their rookie contracts. And that, that allowed them to go out and get guys like Calais Campbell, who you can just bring in for a fifth-round pick. And all of a sudden, you, you transition your defensive line that was kind of like just like middle of the road to being one of the better ones in the NFL now. And you're able to sign Derek Wolf and you're able to extend Marcus Peters. And, you know, hopefully we'll get some more extensions soon for the, some of the others, uh, Ravens who are going to come up for contracts. Um, but they're really in a good position, both sides of the ball. It's hard to find many teams that have that much talent. And the other aspect is the Ravens have great coaching. You know, they have really good um, coordinators on both sides of the ball. They scheme extremely well, um, I think, week in, week out. They really come up with good game plans. Um, there might be, you know, a few play call snafus here and there. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I, th I think they have, you know, one of the best coach teams in the NFL. They have one of the most talented teams in the NFL. 
and you put those things together and you're going to have a, a, you know, a dominant team. And I think that's what we have. Yeah. Well, and it really, you know, I think before we get into the offense and the defense specifically here, this was just a really weird game. Um, you know, for two high octane offenses, we come out and it was basically three, three and outs, I think basically to start the game between Houston and Baltimore. Um, it felt like it either felt like a three and out or a really herky jerky, not well connected, no rhythm drive, or it felt like a three and out. <laughs> and so the game just never seemed to get itself a rhythm. And then when it did, you had both teams with one possession in all of the third quarter bleeding into the fourth quarter. And then by the time it got to the fourth quarter, the Ravens had the ball for almost 10 minutes. Um, so, you know, you and I were chatting before the podcast about this. It, it made it a pretty boring game all in all. But I also think it made it just like, like, like generally speaking, just kind of a boring, boring game overall. Um, there weren't any big splash plays. You know, we had some sacks kind of up both sides of the ball. Um, but there, you know, there just weren't, there wasn't very much to say wow about like we had in week one. Yeah, I think the most exciting play was probably the Ravens, uh, you know, defensive touchdown where they where they got a forced fumble and uh, LJ Ford picked it up and, and ran it into the end zone. That was a really impressive play, uh, both from Marlon Humphrey, who forced the fumble, and by Ford, who was, you know, able to scoop up the ball and, and make it all the way back into the end zone on a really impressive return. Um, and th- when that happened, I think that point, it gave the Ravens, a, what, a 20-7 to lead? Um, and that was probably midway through the second quarter and it's starting to look like a lot of these Ravens games we've seen over the past, you know, year where they jump out to a big lead and it's just like no chance for the other team to come back. And I think that's kind of what happened in this game. The Ravens took their foot off the gas. They, you know, they decided that we're going to try and just run the ball in the second half and get our run game going. And and they did. Um, So that's a good thing to see. Um, I think there's a, a lot of positive things on both sides of the ball and we can talk about that a little bit more in detail. Yeah, well, and I think this win started with the defense. Um, there are a lot of things that you can kind of look at and point to, you know, and say, hey, you know, the Texans at times, you know, they had a drive where they moved the ball almost all the way down the field. They didn't look terrible. There were a few times, especially on kind of like mid to deep crossers, um, when they isolated the Ravens into man to man, that they attacked it pretty effectively. Um, but you take away a couple of those things and that's going to happen when you've got a quarterback of the caliber of Deshaun Watson. And, you know, this win was firmly wrapped up because the defense was not, they just weren't going to let Houston beat the Ravens. I don't think, especially once they had the lead. Yeah. This Ravens defense is really talented. Um, at, and basically it's really talented at every single level. And that's really what you, what you want. You don't want to have any glaring weaknesses that other opposing teams can, can, you know, kind of pick at and take advantage of. And there's nothing like that on this Ravens team. You know, you have, you have two lockdown corners. You have, I think, one of the <laughs> one of the best breakout linebackers we've seen in four. He's having a fantastic season. Um, you know, the defensive line we already mentioned. We have, you know, Clay's Campbell making plays. He's great in the run, the run game. I think that's one of the things that really stood out in this game after kind of getting gashed a little bit um, last week against the Browns on the ground. Um, the Ravens just, you know, snuffed the run game completely. Uh, I, th- I think Houston maybe had one r- rush of – close to 10 yards. I think Sean Watson rushed for nine. Um, David Johnson was a non-factor in this game. He did, he did absolutely nothing. I think they basically stopped even trying to give him the ball because he wasn't doing anything. And one of the interesting things that the Ravens did um, was their personnel usage. They basically took away the run game and they weren't even playing their base package the entire game. They were playing mostly two defensive linemen and they're doing it either with two linebackers, um, kind of a, a jumbo nickel where they had a third safety or they would do something where they would um, bring in a corner as well at times. Um, and they had, a few, they had a few other packages they were playing with as well. But for, it, for them to really stop the, the uh, Texans rushing attack with, with two defensive linemen and um, just, you know, really good scheme and two guys up front who were able to just kind of stand their ground, mostly with Campbell and Brandon Williams, it was, it was a really impressive um, display, I thought. Yeah, me too. I think, you know, David Johnson did have one nice little run up the middle. He he looked re- he looks really good between the tackles to me this year. Houston, I, I you know, Houston's scheme plays almost directly into the Ravens scheme. I think in some senses they don't play with a fullback. They, you know, have a couple two tight end sets that they like to use, but you know, it's not heavy usage for them. They're always there's a lot of kind of three wide, you know, 13 type personnels that they're running out there or 11 personnel, whichever one you want to call it. Um, or I guess uh, technically 11 personnel, um, 
where they're trying to kind of get wide and they're trying to use, they've got four decent receivers that we talked about a little bit in the preview. And so they run themselves in some senses out of some of these plays. Um, and if, if the team, like a team like the Ravens who in particular were, kind of refuse to play base cover two and kind of refuse to like let you know what they're doing pre-snap and kind of do certain giveaways for for you to be able to kind of run out of the shotgun or the pistol which the Texans like to do a lot it really it, it really kind of emasculates your ability to to be effective in that run game and so you know to me that's ultimately what undid the Texans one is Bill O'Brien I just think he's I just think he's a quite mediocre play caller um and it played right in the, the strat their strategy just played right into the teeth and the strengths of the ravens defense now that's not to undercut or undercredit exactly what you were talking about williams and campbell were all over the field in terms of how they dominated the line of scrimmage this week which was great to see um compared to what we saw last week in cleveland um but i just didn't understand what the texans de- were trying to do at any point during the game other than let's keep our fingers crossed and hope Deshaun Watson beats them for us. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. The, the Texans didn't seem to have a great game plan. They started the game playing a lot of uh, 12 personnel um, and the Ravens matched that with what I would call a big nickel where they had three um, safeties and the third safety was actually Anthony Levine. Um, so he was playing kind of a deep safety along with um, uh, Deshaun Elliott. And then they would bring Chuck Clark into the, into the box and basically have him as a third linebacker. So they did this kind of like four, three, four kind of look with Clark playing essentially um, a linebacker in the, in this role. And it was a good, I think, way to match up against the Texans tight ends because the tight Texans tight ends, they have some talent, they're not real game changing type talents and having um, just a linebacker or a tight or a safety that's able to match with them was, was pretty easy. I think for the Ravens, you know, Patrick queen, LJ Ford, they're both capable of sticking um, to these tight ends in coverage in man, and they were they weren't really going to threaten the uh, the Ravens down the seams very much. So what they were able to do is they actually did play some cover two with, with the Ravens um, when the when the the Texans were playing this twelve personnel. Um, the you know the wide receivers they weren't really able to make much happen against the Ravens either, and you know that's to the credit of the Ravens cornerback. So I thought also had a, a very good game, Marcus Peters in particular. Um, he obviously had that one incredible interception, but basically um, he didn't get thrown at. And the one he did get the interception, it wasn't being targeted at him. It was being targeted at Humphrey. Um, and, he, and, he, and he undercut that route and made an incredible pick. So I think the Ravens, you know, on the back end were very sound. They did let up a few plays. Um, one of them was a man coverage. Um, Anthony Averitt, I think was, um, he, he had to cover this, deep crosser on, on a one-on-one and he actually was in pretty good position and Watson just made an incredible throw under dress. The other one was a play where the, where the Texans were able to protect Watson and he hit, um, I think it was Cooks again on another crosser. This one was in cover two and he was able to get past uh, Elliott and make a big play. So Cooks is really the best receiver for the, the Texans in this one. Um, but even with a couple of big plays like that, the Ravens were able to, you know, solidify, they didn't let anything up in the red zone outside of the one touchdown and um, the, the ground game wasn't working and it really made the, the Texans one dimensional. They got away from the 12 personnel went more to 11 personnel and there, there wasn't much they could do about that either because you know, the Ravens secondary was just too good. They started bringing pressure in the second half and, and they really got to Watson. And it, it was, it was exactly what you want to see from the Ravens defense when they're up and they have a two score lead and they're just going to put their foot on the, on the, on the neck of the opposing team and just like take away any chance that they have game back in the game yeah you know the score definitely i mean bill o'brien let the score dictate this game to him more than you'd like to see you know i i think the ravens let that happen to them in the titans game last year and good play callers i like greg roman as a play caller good play callers can fall victim to that and i think bill o'brien especially fell victim to that in particular the ridiculous decision to go for it on fourth down from his own 32 yard line um, in the second quarter. I mean, you just can't, those are the kind of things that, you know, I don't think that demor- like it, it felt like in the moment it might be demoralizing to his team. There was a lot of energy that felt like it was lost, but they kind of bounced back from that. But I just think it let the Ravens get on the board a lot more easily. You know, it, it's just the kind of thing that you can't, it's a, a really interesting strategy decision. And I don't know if we want to talk about his choice to, to do this here. Um, where 
you you've, you're betting really big on your team there that not only are you going to convert that first down, but you're also going to get far, far enough down the field to score points on that drive, as opposed to punting it and trying to completely flip the field position and put some faith in your defense that who pretty regularly through the game actually did stop the Ravens offense um, is going to be able to post that and, and put up a solid defense. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think Bill O'Brien is not a good coach. <laughs> Let's just get that out there. <laughs> um, like, like going, like you said, going going for it on that on that fake uh, punt attempt early in the game when the, this balance is still like undecided and like giving that field position up is just like unconscionable. Like, I if you want to go for it, go go for it. I guess or, or not not the fake, but what I said the the fourth and one. Like it was it was on what the thirty five yard line. Like. I mean, I don't know. I guess the Ravens did that, and I was for it. But that was later in the game. They were up two scores when you're only trailing. But I think at that point it was a field goal, right? They were, or was it a touchdown? I think it was a field goal. I think it was three nothing, and and like you have no reason to go for that, and then you just give away basically, you know, a touchdown. You're putting yourself down ten points. Um, I don't know. And then later in the game, he kicks field goals when you're down two scores. It's, right. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and. I think I actually thought that Deshaun Watson had a really good game for the Texans. Um, he was the only reason that they were even in the game. He kept somehow avoiding like the sack and being able to extend plays. And even if, even if he was just throwing the ball away, he wasn't like, taking these big negative plays that he took last year when, when the Ravens and Texans played. So he definitely, I thought, played a pretty decent game despite the numbers not looking great for him. Um, but eventually, you know, the Ravens pressure just got to him. They started, you know, bringing the house, bringing all the different defensive back blitzes, doing some interesting things up front where they were showing a lot of outside linebacker looks. I thought the outside linebackers had a great game in this one. You know, um, Ty Spouser was able to do some nice things in coverage. Um, he was able to blitz pretty well. Um, Judon, I thought, looked good. He's, he's very mobile. He's able to line up in a bunch of different places. Um, you know, He had a couple clean looks at, at Watson, although I don't think he got a sack. Maybe he got a half sack, but he, he showed off his athleticism in this game really, really well. Um, Deshaun Elliott came in and got a sack. It was just it was just an all-around really good performance by the Ravens. Um, and this is the kind of thing that I, th- I think you want to see moving forward. You can beat good teams um, with your defense. And even if your offense doesn't have your best game, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to. It, the defense can play at this level. Yeah, I thought Matt Judon had a particularly strong game again. And I actually thought he had a pretty good game against Cleveland, too. Um, neither of them really showed up as the kind of wow moments on the the stat sheet. Um, and I think he was your pick before the game to kind of be the, be the guy that was going to have a breakout game this week. Um, but he's been... And I don't know if it's him and Wink working together, but he's, you know, some of the loops and the stunts or his decisions to come inside or wrap around um, instead of just kind of run up by the guy. His bend has looked really good um, both weeks. I, I've just been impressed with him. He's playing in, in what is another contract year for him. He's been playing like, um, you know, he's going to get a big contract from somebody else after this year, I think, because of it. Um, and, and he's going to deserve that. Um, you know, I also thought Jimmy Smith, really stepped up and had a really huge game for the team, you know, especially filling in once, you, you know, you mentioned this a little bit about Tavon Young, but I thought he stepped up really well. He had a monster play on that first drive on the third yeah. down where he just absolutely stuffed Akins, who is got to have at least 30 pounds with Jimmy Smith. And, you know, he just stood him up and he knew he wasn't going to take him down, but he knew he had help coming. Um, and you know, that was a, that was a really, really nice play. And it was really good to see him, you know, be physical, um, you know, at the line like that. Yeah. I think, um, Jimmy Smith did have a great game. And like you said, he played basically two different positions in this one. He played, um, he played some safety, um, which he played in week one. Then he also played a lot of, you know, outside cornerback after Tavon Young, uh, was out for the game. And, um, you know, Avery kind of rotated with him a little bit as, as the other outside corner, as Marlon Humphrey moved into the slot. Um, so that's something that's going to be interesting to monitor how Ravens move forward with their, um, you know, with their secondary, are they going to um, put Humphrey in the slot full time in, in nickel packages, or are they going to um, maybe try and bring in somebody else um, to fill that role? Maybe, you know, Toro Bonds, I think is on the practice squad. He's, he's kind of the slot cornerback type. I don't know if he's going to be a starter for the Ravens, but he might be depth. Um, 
I mean, we've talked about Brandon Carr in the past. I think he's still on the practice squad of the Cowboys. <laughs> You're shaking your head. No, um, he's he. They signed him to the active roster. Oh, for they the did. Year. They signed yeah. him okay. so before the, before week two. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, there has to be somebody out there um, who could at least be maybe a depth player. But I mean, the Ravens are going to have to address the secondary at some point because the the depth is getting is very thin. Um, Anthony Levine had a you know a decent game in this one, but I don't think he's somebody that you really want playing too many snaps. Um, he's probably going to be like the weakest link out there. Um, we saw him get abused a little bit in coverage. So I, ideally, you would have somebody else who can be that you know third safety if Smith is going to be the guy who's playing um, cornerback on the outside. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's not a Raven season where they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender if there's not a million injuries at the cornerback position. Um, and we're definitely seeing that already. I think they've got to bring – I'd love to see them bring in some kind of veteran at this point. I mean, essentially the way the salary cap works this year is veterans after week one that are assigned to the veteran minimum are a wash in terms of salary cap. So, like, they don't count – like, they're not going to count against your cap. So there's really no reason that guys like – Tremaine Johnson or, you know, some of these injury, a little bit more injury prone player guys shouldn't be looked at, but don't sleep on the Ravens making a trade for another cornerback either. I mean, we already saw the Ravens, you know, being a really active part of the clowny conversation. Um, so if there are other corners that, you know, are disgruntled or teams that are looking to make good bang for the buck out of it, I think we there's a poster over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com talks about Brian Poole from the Jets. Um, there's a good connection there for late round draft picks and trades um, with Joe Douglas over there. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Ravens bring in another cornerback if only for the fact that you want another another veteran or another uh, another layer of guys to kind of go through before you get to that last guy. We don't want a um, – oh, what was his name? Not Ch- Chucky Brown, but also <laughs> uh, the guy that went to Indy and got a decent contract after he – he was like the rookie practice squad guy. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, and his name is slipping my head. Um, but yeah, yeah, he, he actually played pretty well for for the Colts, I think, for a couple of years. Um, yeah, is is he still there? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy that we the guy that we can't even name. Um, anyway, yeah. So you know, I think the Ravens don't want to get into that position, and I, I think Frank Clark might have been on the that Ravens team. I mean, they just went through a bunch of trash at cornerback to end that year. And ultimately that was, that was the thing that brought the Ravens down um, against the Patriots that season. And so I think that they're not going to let that be the kind of thing that happens again. Um, And I think if that means making, just like they were willing to trade for Marcus Peters last year, I think they'd be willing to kind of make another potential trade again as well. Yeah. I saw some, some stuff going on with Desmond King, the Chargers. He saw that too. Kind of be, you know, that will be an ideal fit. I don't know if he's on the, trade market or not but um he's very good slot corner he can also play some safety he'll be literally the perfect player and he's also you know really talented he can do some returning for you um i don't know what you have to give up to get him maybe like a mid-round pick third fourth rounder i'm not sure um i think he's in his fourth year of a rookie contract something third or fourth year i took that up as well um but yeah yeah i mean there's also a few safeties out there you know we talked about Ha-ha Clinton Dix, perhaps the beginning of the offseason or end of the offseason, he got cut. Demarius Randall got cut. I think they're still both free agents. So safety is also something that I think the Ravens could look at. Um, or maybe um, the, the this, I'm forgetting names all over the place today. <laughs> um, the one, Jordan, Jordans, Jordan, Jordan Richards, Jordan Richards, the Ravens who they brought up to play special. Right. Uh, yeah, I think he's, he's going to get a spot on the active. I think he's going to get Tavon Young's spot this week. Um, and maybe he can, you know, be uh, a decent, you know, fill in at, at safety as well. So, I th- but I yeah. think they're going to have to do some things to to try and reinforce the secondary. I've been pretty pleased with what we've seen from the, the safety position as well. But I think you're right. We do have to worry that there's a pending injury there. And if the Ravens aren't going to give Geno Stone some of those looks in those sets, then – they're going to need to bring somebody in that they are comfortable with. And so maybe that is Jordan Richards. Um, you know, I thought Anthony Levine played okay as well. I, I wasn't terribly impressed. And, you know, Anthony Levine 
is a great special teams player, but his awareness in kind of broader situations um, just doesn't seem to be that great, both against the run or the pass. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think his role will will be reduced a bit. You know, we saw the John Harbaugh won't let rookies play rear its ugly head here in week two. And I warned everybody it was coming in week one and Harbaugh told me, I didn't know what I was talking about. And we saw all kinds of snaps from rookies and then week two rolled around. And I think there was a stern about face by the team. We saw less Malik Harrison by my count. Um, it seemed, and we saw much less of JK Dobbins, the same very minimal amount of Duvernay. Um, we saw less, I think we saw less of Broderick Washington. I, you know, that's a hunch. I didn't look at the snap counts, but it felt like we saw, less of Broderick Washington, um, like a decent amount of Justin Ellis on the defense. So, um, you know, and that's fine. I don't, I, I don't really have a problem with it early on in the year. If that's the direction that you want to go with it. Um, I certainly can get behind the folks that want to see more of JK Dobbins. He looks like the most dynamic running back the Ravens do have right now. Um, so, so I get it. Um, but you know, if they're not going to play the rookies, they're not going to let these guys be a little bit more trial by fire, like like we saw from Queen, and they are going to have to add somebody. Um, I thought Patrick Queen looked significantly. So I thought Patrick Queen had a very good game last in week one. I thought he looked two steps ahead or smarter or more aware this week. It felt to me, and you know, I don't know if this popped out to you on tape at all in week one, it always felt like he was behind the play that the, the linemen were getting up to him at the second level. They were getting into him at the second level and they were pushing him out of the play. Um, and it felt like this week he was meeting those guys at the right level um, and doing a little bit better jobs job in terms of shedding. Um, and I think that the week one to week two improvement there from him is a really good sign for us continuing to see him take a few more strides like that forward as he gets, you know, a few more film sessions under his belt. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think he uh, is definitely feeling a little bit more comfortable in, in his role now. And I'm not sure if, if he has a more defined role in, in the in the defense now than he had before. I think he's pretty much playing the same type of, of role um, that he you know, yeah, in week one, I didn't see anything majorly different in where he was, you know, on the field. But I just think there's a comfort level that comes with some playing time. You know, he had never stepped on the field before, for week one as an NFL player. So there's probably some nerves there. Um, I think the Browns are actually a pretty tough matchup. Um, and I think that maybe, you know, he's just starting to feel feel himself a little bit more now. Um, I, I think he played well in week one, though, too. I th- you know, he had the nice blitz. Um, where he was able to get a sack, he had a forced fumble. So while he definitely was a little hesitant, I think, in run defense, um, I think that's something that's, that's going to come around for him. I did want to mention, or at least discuss, I think you mentioned the, the rookies not being involved in this one. And I think that might just kind of be a matchup thing. Um, I think um, on defense in particular, they they only rotated, I think, mostly Campbell, Wolf, Williams, and some Ellis in this one. Um, because they were basically playing two defensive linemen the entire time. So they played a lot more three defensive linemen in, in week one. I think that was just a kind of matchup thing. They, they did want it to have, you know, a little bit more speed um, on on the field, and that resulted in Queen and Fort playing a lot of linebacker too. So I think some of the decisions are just based on the matchups. Um, the ability to cover those two tight end packages we, we talked a little bit before. The one thing that surprised me was not seeing much Dobbins. Um, I thought we would see a little bit more of him in this week, especially after, you know, how good I thought he looked and how involved he was in week one. Um, but, you know, he's he basically got one carry early on and then one carry late, and that was it. And he looked dynamic in that last carry, but, you know, that might be partially due to the, the Texans kind of mailing it in at that point. But, boy, did he look explosive on that play. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I'll have to take a look at um, what the, the snap counts look like for the defensive line um, and the defense. That is interesting to think about what those rotations look like. I think that's the right rotations, though. And we saw what I thought was interesting was we saw one, a lot of Jihad Ward and a lot of Pernell McPhee actually playing as the third down lineman. Um, and then there were at least by you know, my unofficial count because I haven't rewatched the defense yet, but you saw Campbell, Wolf, and like a McPhee or Ward with Bowser and Judon or McPhee and some combination on the outside of them lined up as that front five. And I really like that combination of guys because between McPhee and Ward, you've got two guys that are good enough to be, they're big enough to be able to kind of 
be worried about the draw play or kind of that little delay action that you might get out of a shotgun. But otherwise you've got then five legitimate guys that can rush the passer and you've got two and a half guys worth there that are also good at dropping. And so you can, and we saw this, there were plays where McPhee would loop in and also ones where he would drop into coverage in that same front five look and the ability of the Ravens to be able to change up who's coming from that set of guys as a base package and keep not have to bring their safeties and their nickel corners and all these guys up to the line and feign blitzing. If they can be just as deceptive with five guys at the, like in the box or like between the tackles of the line of scrimmage, it's going to be really scary for this defense in terms of what they'll be able to generate in terms of a pass rush. Um, In addition to the fact that those five guys are actually pretty decent pass rushers in their own right too. Yeah, I think the Ravens uh, outside linebacker unit as a whole is actually really good and deep and better than what most people expected. Um, and, you know, it starts with Judon. He's, like we mentioned, he had a good game. Um, he's very versatile. Um, I think Bowser is kind of in the same mold as Judon, maybe not being quite as um, developed as a pass rusher. He doesn't have the same size as, as Judon has, but, you know, he does have the ability to to line up in a lot of different spots and he has that ability to drop as well in the coverage. Um, and that, that's something that really is a hallmark of Wink Martindale's defense is you have, you know, six, five or six guys lined up at the line of scrimmage and you don't know who's going to drop and who's going to rush um, and who's going to rush from what gap. Um, and that really allows him to be, you know, very multiple and, and, and very dynamic with his pass rush. And then, like you said, you know, Ward McPhee, um, and Ferguson to a certain extent, you know, they have good size. They can line up with different, you know, techniques on the defensive line. They have decent run defense. They can get after the passer and you combine that with a couple of the pass rush guys from the defensive line. And you guys have a really versatile front. And we haven't even seen uh, Justin Matabike yet, who I think might be one of the better interior uh, pass rushers on the team. Um, and we haven't seen him play at all. So I think once he gets in there, it's going to be a really good rotation of players. I think it's going to be one of those things that, you know, opposing teams are not going to want to deal with when they're down 10 points in the second half. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I thought the, like, again, I, like I said, I thought the, the defense really won or carried or was the flagship of this game, which was great to see. Um, the offense kind of reminded me of the first four weeks of last year. Um, when I went back and watched the film, there was like, I don't know if you remember this in the in, maybe even more like the first six weeks of last year, it felt like there was like one miss block by somebody or one miss combo assignment or one drop or one, one guy running the route or one guy turning the wrong way kind of thing um, on every single play. And like, it felt like the Ravens, you know, there were these huge splash plays. And obviously when Lamar cut it, when Lamar can cut it loose and you see guys like Dobbins running like that, or if Hollywood Brown's going to finally get it going in terms of like maybe a big play over the top, um, you know, the offense would just cut it loose. But through the first like four or six weeks, it just felt like they weren't in rhythm and they weren't doing things the right way. That is what stuck out to me on tape. Um, There was, I don't think it was physical. Um, like there weren't there weren't moments where like guys were kind of getting beat like you know the one sack by JJ Watt on Orlando Brown yeah that was a little bit on Brown but that being said like that sack to me was all on Lamar they were they were 10 yards back from the line of scrimmage on that play Lamar had space to kind of just drift forward and then slide under against the three man rush where he saw the other guys that were rushing towards him um and would have had daylight in front of him in terms of being able to pull the defense towards him or make a play um Tyree Phillips was probably the biggest victim of the guy that was missing or getting beat on blocks. But again, it wasn't really like, it wasn't really missing or it wasn't getting beat. It was just kind of missing. It struck me that his assignments, there were, you know how there's often a lineman that's kind of standing around. He's the extra guy. And like, usually he's kind of in the right place in the pocket. It seemed like on film, a lot of the times that was Tyree Phillips and it shouldn't have been like, like he's standing around doing nothing. And then Lamar's going down. Um, you know, that being said, Lamar held onto the ball way too long. Um, and, you know, one of the criticisms I had of the Ravens coming into this game, I was a little concerned that two, during the Titans game last year, the Ravens were looking ahead to the Kansas City game, or a particular Lamar was kind of looking ahead. Um, he just was, he was off throwing the ball. He was, you know, he just wasn't his same dynamic self. Um, and I kind of got that feel again in this game against the Texans. There were a couple reads where it just seemed like, 
like Greg Roman likes to do kind of like levels or high low concepts and kind of like run the play where most of the guys are running to the right or most of the guys are running to the left. And when that happens, Lamar has to go in that direction, right? If everybody's running to the right and only one guy is in the flat to the left or running kind of like a nine route to the left, if that guy is covered and there are two guys between Lamar and kind of the sideline, then yeah, Lamar's going to go down, right? Whereas if Lamar goes to the right on those same plays, now he's got three or four receivers that are coming open to that side, and he's got the sideline that he can run towards. Well, there were at least three different instances where, and and maybe this, this is credit to the Texans, but where Lamar flushed the wrong way out of the pocket and basically ran himself either into a sack or a short run. Um, and again, these are just like the moments where it's like, okay, like, when whatever the play call is that gets called in, if it's flowing to the right pre-snap, Lamar has got to be thinking about that, right? And he's got to be thinking about, okay, where are my coverages? Do I need to slide the line? Do I need to be moving to the right? Um, the first sack that J.J. Watt had is a perfect example because it's like this play action. I don't even love this play action because it's play action out of the pistol. So Lamar turns his back to the line of scrimmage. The Ravens should have no play action passes where Lamar turns his back to the line of scrimmage because it just it, it, he's not Joe Flacco. You don't need to sell it like he should be keeping his eyes forward. But anyway, they turn he turns that way. Ingram runs into the flat and everybody kind of is is going left. And Lamar turns around and boots right and he boots right right into the face of J.J. Watt. Um, now, it looked like Watt should have been blocked by somebody. He was basically unblocked. Um, but it, to me, it's like you've got Nick Boyle flowing to the left screaming wide open you've got ingram wide open and you've got lamar running in the complete wrong direction of the play um and so i think that th these are the kind of things that it took greg roman some time to get cleaned up in his play calls last year it took time for the ravens to get on the same page about that stuff it took time to kind of go through the lessons of like those moments and those plays but like there was just every other play had some some miscue of some player all across the board doing the wrong thing i thought yeah, I think that is definitely in line with my observations as well. I think there was definitely a little bit of, of Roman trying to be too too cute by half in, in this game. Like, there were some strange things that he put on film, and maybe that was kind of the intent. But these these, these games, just these plays just didn't really do anything. And I don't think the players knew exactly what was actually going on. Um, like, there was one play where you had um, Dobbins and Ingram both lined up in the backfield, and then I think one of them motioned. Um, and then like Lamar did like like a play action fake and then just like and no he's like did a little spin and like like he looked like he didn't know what was going on. Like it was just a broken play. And then there was Oh that play. Hold on, I'm just gonna pause you real quick. I want I, I wanna talk about that play. So the like Mark Ingram was wide open in the flat on that play, and Lamar just didn't throw him the ball. Lamar is literally looking looking at Ingram to his right, looking at the defender, and instead of trying to just lightly toss the ball over the defender's head he spins and runs into basically the rest of the teeth of the houston texas defense well ingram was that was actually a good play call <laughs> ingram mm. was set up to run down the field he had 20 yards of space dead in front of him with blockers set up there were i think there were two receivers to the right side both of them were in man-to-man -man coverage or only have one guy on them and that was going to be a huge play and lamar didn't make the read. And that when I was said, I felt like Lamar had just an off game in terms of how he read it. That play really stood out to me. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like there, there were a, a lot of plays like that where I think Lamar just like made the wrong decision, whether it was this decision to, to run the ball when he should have, you know, tried to make a throw. Um, he had an open receiver and he just felt like a tuck and run it instead. Um, and that was one of the things that I praised him a lot for in the, in week one, where instead of, you know, tucking and running at, at first chance, he was actually like maneuvering the pocket and trying to, if not maneuver the pocket, get out of the pocket and find receivers downfield. I think we only saw him do that maybe once or twice in this entire game. Um, and, th and that was a little disappointing. So it seemed like he took a step back in, in that way. Um, but I, I, don't know, I haven't looked at the all 22 throughout the entire thing. So maybe the Houston Texans were trying to take away some of those downfield throws better than the Browns were able to do. Um, I'd have to go back and, and watch it to really see that for sure. But I just feel like there were some other things that were just weird. Like there was a play with uh, Hollywood Brown lined up in the backfield, which I thought was kind of another like weird play that could have been good, but they just like didn't know what they were doing. Um, 
There was I don't a- even know how that play can be good though. So on this play, they're in shotgun, right? So like usually you're in pistol, right? Like if you're in the pistol, then Lamar is only like three yards back from the line of scrimmage. So it's a little bit closer, right? And the running back is like standard depth. They're like traditional shotgun depth and Hollywood stops five yards behind Lamar. He must be 13 yards. I, you know, I didn't measure it. He looked like he was 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage and they ran a play action fake to him. And shocker nobody bought it <laughs> so that one stood out to me too yeah there was i feel like there's a lot of plays like that. there was the the hollywood jet sweep which i thought was actually what something i wanted to see but then um i, I feel like ricard got really greedy on the block he thought that he wasn't going to have to block the safety he made a really nice play and blew it up um, but instead of actually blocking the guy he just kind of like tried to like use his body and not actually get hands on him and that Cause it to be a negative play instead of could have been, you know, maybe 10, 15 yard gain. So like little plays like that, little, little mental errors um, that really stood out to me in this game. There is definitely missed blocking um, at times. There is, like we said, Lamar Jackson didn't have a great game. Um, all that said, you know, Ravens still were really efficient on offense. <laughs> right. Lamar 75% on the week you know, a touchdown and no interceptions again. Um, Lamar's ability to keep the ball on the Ravens side has been really impressive when he does throw the ball or when he does get loose in the pocket, a huge concern after his first year that has just completely vanished. And he has turned into an absolute, you know, possession monster for the Ravens in terms of, uh, of how he converts um, the running game all in all looked fantastic by the time everything was said and done. Um, and they really did clean up a lot of those, like whatever the communications were that were going wrong about some of those blocks in the first half were all very clearly cleaned up by the second half. And we saw a very well-oiled running machine that it felt like we were watching 2019 in one of those halves in that second part. Um, you know, so, you know, you saw the big fourth down conversions again from the Ravens, some confusion and some great packages there, an awesome play action pass at the goal line where you have Makari in as the third tight end. I think that's a really interesting look for the Ravens because they get really big and heavy on that in that package, but then they still also have some eligible guys. Look for that same look in a few weeks where Makari's the one that leaks out and Boyle's the one who stays in and blocks. Um, you know, I think that's going to be Makari's first touchdown of his career. <laughs> so, um, yeah, offensively, they looked – I mean, it looked and felt disjointed. And and that's the part about this game that felt odd that we were kind of talking about at the top of the podcast. Um, but even though it felt odd and even though it felt kind of average at best, the Ravens still scored 33 points. Um, they still were incredibly efficient, and they still they still had on, on balance a really good offensive day. Yeah, and I, I was really good to see the – the run game, try to get back at it after what I thought was a, a really poor showing in, in week one. I think the, the offensive line, especially in the second half, really started to generate a push. Um, I think we saw Gus Edwards have a really nice game as kind of the closer, I guess you would call him. Um, you know, the guy who comes in in the fourth quarter and just kind of hammers you. Um, you know, he had a nice couple of long runs. Um, so obviously, we, we mentioned the Dobbins run where he came in and got like, what, 45 yards on a, on a run where he looked like he, nobody was able to tackle him. Um, I think that's the kind of thing we're going to want to see more of, obviously, um, when the Ravens are up, just seeing them run over teams in the second half. Um, obviously, offensive lines love to do that when, when they have a two-score lead, just to go out and like maul the people in front of them. Um, and I think that's something that we're going to look forward to. Um, I'd like to see maybe a little less Lamar Jackson um, design runs. I, I, I've preached about that all offseason. I'm still going to say that, um, you know, give him a few zone read where he keeps it. But and, and maybe, you know, you can get him going with like a design run here or there. I, I think it's definitely part of the offense, but I don't want to see him, you know, running the ball 15 times a game if you can avoid it. So I think, yeah, you know, no, go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I we were talking a little bit about this at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com on the message board in the forum. We were talking a little bit about how Lamar looked a step slow and how he looked like he didn't look like Lamar of the last few years. After going back and watching the tape, he looked just fine. Um, Lamar just made some really bad decisions in this game. Um, like the one play that stood out to me when it happened was um, – uh, it was a, like a, a run to the end. It was on a read option and Lamar got beat by Zach Cunningham to, to the edge. And he basically ran him out 
out of bounds, two yards down the field, which you never see, um, especially for a linebacker whose his read was kind of waiting to see what Lamar did. J.J. Watt takes the running back, and then Lamar takes off. But instead of putting his head down and taking off, he, he starts to take off, and then he hesitates. And then instead of continuing to kind of keep the correct angle, he takes kind of two steps back in the wrong direction and then tries to arc it around. And, and he was never going to beat him that way, where if he just kind of put his head down, he was going to get it. And if he would have, if Lamar would have gone to the inside on that last quarterback sneak that he had um, in the fourth quarter, that would have been a touchdown. That was the same look as the Bengals game last year where he spun to the inside and then ran it from the inside out. And so I don't know what Lamar was, was thinking. And I don't know if it was something they saw on tape and they just thought they were going to beat the Texans to the edge. And like, maybe that was the thing. Maybe it was like, get to the outside on the right and beat them. Um, and, and the Texans got the memo <laughs> and they decided they were going to beat him, especially when he was going to the right sideline. Um, it just felt like the Texans knew that he was going there and that that's how they were able to beat him to that spot. And he's got to decide to either throw the ball or cut the ball upfield in there a little bit sooner. Um, yeah. I think, you know, part, I think part of it was the Texans, you know, scouting him. And, and I think Cunningham is a, was actually a good spy for to counter Lamar with. He has that kind of athleticism and speed you need at a linebacker position. I think we saw a little bit of that last year with um, is it Tremaine Edmonds, the, the, the linebacker in Bills game, who kind of has that same kind of athleticism, was able to match Lamar um, and able to use his speed to keep him from having these kind of big gains. And and basically, you know, I think the, most teams are kind of using this, um, you know, this uh, scrape exchange kind of approach in guarding the, uh, the zone read. and. We, see, we saw a little bit of the Browns doing it in week one. We saw Houston doing it. We saw teams doing it last week. That seems to be the way that they're going to try and, and defend um, some of the, you know, the, the Lamar keepers. And I think that um, the Ravens are going to have to maybe think of some ways to take advantage of that moving forward. Great. You got to beat it with play action over the middle. If you go back and look at the, and this was a passing down instead of a running down, but if you look at the the Mark Andrews first down um, during the second drive, he just runs a nice little high low concept with Sneed and Andrews, and the zone defender in the middle gets caught in no man's land because you've got this the the guy reading the scrape on the play action, and you've got the other guy reading Lamar, so you can only have two guys covering that in space behind it, or you have to play man, and then Lamar is. Like if he can't beat that guy, you're going to get really burned on the man coverage there. So, um, you know, the Ravens can do some stuff behind that. They've just got to recognize it sooner. They've got to build in. I've never understood the only part missing in the Ravens read option kind of game is the pass part of it. They they just they, they for whatever reason don't want to pass the ball in those situations. If they added that layer to that option play. I think it would just be absolutely devastating for teams. So. I think Lamar's going to bounce back. I think it's going to be fine. I think there are a lot of lessons for him to learn on tape and a lot of things for him to recognize what was happening to him while he was in the pocket and what he needs to fix about that. Um, I'm in the minority. I don't think Lamar needs to run the ball less. I think even in this game in Houston, he only took kind of one real hit in the entirety of the game. Um, He just gets down and gets out. Like him and Hollywood know how to get down and get out of the way or get out of bounds when they need to. Um, and I think the, the Ravens would be ill-suited to take that out of their game plan because as soon as they do, it's going to make them more l- dimensional like the rest of the NFL and less like what makes them dynamic is not that they're good at running the ball. It's Lamar is good at running the ball. Um, and if they're going to take that weapon away from themselves, it's going to just make them easier to defend. Um, so I, I'm in the minority. I don't want to see them do it until I see a situation where I think Lamar is actually at risk for getting hurt for it. Yeah, I, I never – I don't think I ever want them to get rid of that entirely yet, but I do think, you know, maybe a couple of design runs less per game wouldn't be a bad thing because I think he can be just as dynamic throwing the ball. And one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, built in in the pass into the, into the option. And that's something I'd like to see as well. You know, some more RPOs I think would be really useful um, in this offense. And I think it could be really devastating to defenses because it's just one more thing that you have to account for. And I don't know how teams will be able to account for it given, you know, the skilled, skilled offensive players that the Ravens have. And also obviously Lamar's talents. Yeah. Well, we got the big game of the chiefs coming on next Monday. Um, We'll jump into that in our next podcast and really get into the chiefs. Um, I'm going to take, try and break, we'll, we'll split this up the same way we did last week. I'll try and dive into the offense. Gabe's going to dive into how we stop Patrick Mahomes of the defense. I mean, it's going to be, 
look, it's going to be an epic test for the Ravens. I, I think that they are having watched both of the Chiefs games now this this year. They're not as good as they were, or at least they weren't as good as they were by the end of the playoffs last year right now. And you can make the same argument about the Ravens not being as good right now as they were at the end of week 16 last year either. Um but to me, the Ravens look like a better team. So I'm interested to kind of get into the tape, break it down and see what we're going to see. But I, you know, I'm excited. This is, this is the biggest game on the Ravens schedule until the playoffs. Um, and, and I think the Ravens are going to be approaching it that way. And, I, and you know, I, I want Lamar to stop looking past games because I'm starting to think that, that he's been doing that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I think maybe he just, there's sometimes where he doesn't, see the field as well as other games. I think sometimes defenses do a thing that you might not be expecting. Um, and you could, I was, I want to, I want to chalk it up to that instead of saying that he's looking ahead, but that could be it as well. There's, there's definitely no way of really knowing exactly for sure. Um, but I do take some comfort in knowing that, you know, Lamar Jackson seems to be like a film junkie and he's going to see what he did this past week and say, I, I messed up there and I'm going to, you know, figure out how to do it better next time. And I think that's exactly what you want from your, your star quarterback because he's always looking to get better. He has one thing on his mind. It's a Super Bowl, And I, I think that he's going to continue to week in and week out uh, strive for that. So I'm definitely looking forward to this one. I think we'll get a, a real good sense about, um, you know, where this team stands in terms of the AFC, in terms of, you know, the, the pecking order for, for the, for the, you know, contenders. And uh, I think it's going to be potentially the game of the year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, um, you guys can check us out at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. And we're on the forum there. You can catch Gabe at, at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. We're both on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there. Otherwise, we'll talk to you on Thursday night and preview that Ravens-Chiefs game. All right. Good night.